0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We are in Parshat Tavo this morning, which means that we are going to be looking since we're in the third third of every parsha because we're in the third year of a triennial reading. It means we're going to be starting at chapter 27, verse 11. But I would like, before we read the text, sometimes we read the text, then we contextualize. I would like to contextualize before we read the text this morning. What we're we're going to be looking at is a series of blessings and curses that are delivered by Moshe to the people. Remember, they're getting ready to cross. Moshe is not going with them. So this is one of Moshe's last jobs as their leader is to impart to them the importance of keeping the covenant. And as early as the third millennium BCE in Sumer, we have examples of these texts. So third millennium BCE Sumer, right? So we have Sumerian, Versions of this 3,000 BCE. All right, so think about that for a minute. Right, that that is a very, very, very old tradition, uh, and and Israel is not even close to any kind of real reconstruction. Bless you, uh, or any kind of like newness about this. This is very much an old practice. It is very much uh, ingrained in the culture of the ancient Near East, that when you have a covenant, you, you enforce it by speaking what will happen if you keep it and what will happen if you break it. It makes a lot of sense if you think about why you're doing it. It makes a lot of sense that the punishments for breaking it would be really what 's focused on right yes it's it's nice to have rewards and and all of that and and that's a good thing, but really the point of this ceremony is a motivation to keep people from breaking the covenant. These were rituals that were <laughs> done they uh, we also see uh, parallels uh, as far away as Greece of this kind of a ritual. So it was in the neighborhood, but it was the, it was in the big neighborhood, right, of the ancient Near East. Uh, And what do we know before Israel? What do we know about covenants? Maybe
2: the king and the people. Which king? The, conquering the con- king? the ruling king.
1: The conquering king makes a covenant with the conquered king and the people. These ceremonies were all about that relationship. So when there's a covenant that's cut between a conquering king and a vassal king or a vassal people, these ceremonies would have been a public, you know, very um, awesome ceremony to really drive home the consequences of not keeping the agreement.
2: They had no paper, and they had no internet. <clears throat> right. So I, don't know, but I mean, this was the way it was communicated and
1: shared. People didn't read. Correct. I mean, in general. Correct. So what you did was, if people don't read, and even if they read, you can't hand out clay copies to everybody to keep in their home, right? It's a heavy business, like handing out clay tablets to everybody. What you do is you write it in public and you recite it in public. So you would go over the terms of the agreement, and then you would have this ceremony where, you know, in front of everybody, the blessings for following the covenant and the curses for the consequences for not keeping it are read out loud. Usually you're going to involve your religious authorities. This is going to have religious overtone, religious basis as a ceremony, so now you're bringing in the gods essentially to witness. So the gods witness that the people have said amen. the The blessings are recited, the curses are recited, and the people answer amen. Why do the people need to answer amen? They so they're verbally committing themselves. The same way we, right? You know, when we are in court, we swear. Right? You know, they they are basically saying, "I we promise." To do this, and not only do we promise to do this, but we accept and and help um, trigger the mechanisms by which we will be cursed if we don't, and blessed if we do. So, amen is more than just I agree, right? Amen is make it so, number one, right? So it's yeah, it's, it's total belief. It's, it's total. It's total acceptance of the terms of the covenant. And, and a participation in unleashing the realities that will flow from either, uh, keeping the covenant or breaking it. Way an it. It was seen as the way to enforce the covenant because a lot of the ways the covenant will be broken will be in private. <clears throat> so we're going to look at the first, first five um, terrible things, and they're all things that happen in private, right? Because there's no way to enforce that unless you are dealing and and bringing into the picture forces that do know that you've done it in private, right? Otherwise, you need witnesses, and you go to court, and then, 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 right? So, um, so it's a way of invoking those forces that will know what you've done even in private. And the, the big reconstruction of the early Israelites is that the covenant is cut with God so God becomes the king so it used to be the God's witnessed the covenant between the conquering king and the vassal king the big reconstruction done by early Israel is that God is king yes and um, and the people are entering the covenant with God God's self
2: and presumably I guess God would know what went on behind closed doors as well.
1: Hundred percent, and so when the people answer "Amen," they are
2: activated.
1: Right, they are they are <laughs> acknowledging that they part, are participating in again the realities that are created by their behavior, as well as acknowledging that God God will be involved in all of this, and and God knows everything, right, that we do and don't do. Alright. Or put another thing
2: everything matters whether other people see it or
1: not. That's exactly right. Everything matters whether someone sees it or not. And and that is p- part of a new move, is that the king will know what you've done in private and will bring these, you know, consequences to bear. Right? That's new. Otherwise, you know, a human king can't know what people are doing in private. So that is a shift with early Israel's reinterpretation of this ritual, be, having God as king, is that the king will know what's being done in private. Right? And this is how early Israel explained a lot of the catastrophe that happened to them, was the king knew and saw what we were doing in private, and we didn't measure up. So private
2: is just from people.
1: Private is just from people, and that's a new that's a new business in the ancient Near East. A new, a new way of understanding all of this. Um, we, we believe that that many many uh, of these hunks of these were taken from older texts. They they are too similar to uh, texts that have been found, and some of them are so redundant that if, if somebody were just writing them, sitting down and writing them, they wouldn't write them the way they're written. So so most likely these came, you know, as whole hunks from er, much earlier texts and are put here together by the deuteronomist. All right. So let's look at 27:11. Mhm.
2: Thereupon Moses charged the people, saying, After you have crossed the Jordan, the following shall stand on Mount uh, Gerizim, when the blessing for the people is spoken. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Those are the tribes. Right? Rabbi?
1: Yes. That's referring to the tribes. That's referring to the tribes, yeah. correct.
2: correct? Okay. And for the curse, the following shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuven, God, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites shall then proclaim in a loud voice to all the people of Israel, Cursed be anyone who makes a sculptured or molten image afforded by the Lord, craftsman's handiwork, and sets it up in secret, and all the people shall respond, Amen. Cursed be he who insults his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who moves his fellow countrymen's landmark all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who misdirects a blind person on his way, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed be he who subverts the rights of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Go on. Cursed be he who lies with his father's wife, for he has removed his father's garment, and all the people shall say Amen. <coughs> Cursed be he who lies with any beast, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who lies with his sister, whether daughter of his father or of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say Amen. Cursed be he who strikes down his fellow fellow countrymen in secret, and all the people shall say Amen. Cursed be he who accepts a bribe in the case of the murder of an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who will not uphold the terms of this teaching and observe them, and all the people shall say, Amen.
1: All right. So my my commentary from JPS (laughs) calls this the Anathematization of clandestine sin—the <laughs> the words you, you learn to to say and pronounce with no problem as a rabbi. The anathematization of clandestine sin. Uh, so, so twelve, twelve sins, twelve clandestine sins are here. Eleven specific, one all inclusive. So, if if we're looking at these being anathema, then that says something about what the priorities of the society are, right? If these are the big eleven, and we get elsewhere that you can't do these and even they're capital punishment, right, for some of these. But the Deuteronomist, like, is putting these front and center, right? And so what do we know about what, what Israelite society in this case is concerned about?
3: Well, I assume they got these ideas from things that people were already doing.
1: Correct. (laughs) Correct. So, right, so something that people are doing and then, and that Torah cares a lot, or the Deuteronomist at least, cares a lot about not happening. A lot about sexual activity. A lot
3: about sexual activity. And then, preservation of the, the culture too because all of those things lead to Uh, Less than desirable
1: new members of the clan. Well, what's interesting is some of these, one of these at least was permitted in earlier books of the Bible, right? So you could sleep with the daughter of your father, or if you had different mothers. This prohibits both. So it's interesting that that even saying less than desirable is is. my brain, I'm so sorry. My vocabulary is just not happening this morning. You can say anathematization. <laughs> that I can say. I can't say regular words. So it, it's, in other words, it changes. Like what, what is less than desirable as the issue of a union changes, right? It's not like, oh, my God, they're going to be developmentally disabled. Right, or genetically impaired. That doesn't, it doesn't seem to be like, oh, well, then we clearly can't do that. It's like, so the norms shift and change about what is considered incest and what is not. Incest is the issue. And probably, of course, having issues that are less desirable is part of banning incest. But what defines incest is interesting. It's changed by the time we get to Deuteronomy. Richard?
4: Isn't the quote those of the of the five five of the eleven prohibitions are uh, related to sexual activity. Four of them are at least tangentially related to incest. The, the line of mother-in-law isn't presumably. Uh, but, uh, but isn't the argument that the reason for these rules is because of uh, some dim understanding of the possibility of genetic malformation and things like that, isn't that almost analogous to making the argument that, well, the reason that the Israelites don't eat pork is because they never learned how to cook it properly, and so they ended up getting sick, and so they decided, okay, well, this, this doesn't work. So is it is it that kind of a reason why they're
1: well? So of so to your pork question, we know that's not true, right? right. We so, so we know so that's, so not so that's not true. We know they knew how to cook pork. Their neighbors had pork festivals. Right. So it's probably about you can't go to their festival. What's really right. off limits is their religion, right? It's separation. So to keep you pure in that sense. And so my guess is that is the same that's thing right. here. So it, to do with it, that it is about if you start. Sleeping with people in the family it creates right a kind of tension and and a and possible abuse and like all kinds of dynamics in the family and destruction and destruction that De- Deuteronomy understands to be wrong and the mother in law business is is usually is often about who's who's who owns her sexuality right and and whose toes who's you'd step on. As well as lying. About the mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> and, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> lying about the mother in law is very much. Like How do
0: you account for it that I would have expected one of the first things to be prohibited is homosexual behavior yeah. following Leviticus, and yet there's so no much much And here. I, I, is there an accounting to that? Uh, why?
1: Um, so I'll give you my opinion, having studied the issue <laughs> a bit. Um, it's because it's not a big deal.
0: God, if you look at Leviticus, it's a big
1: deal. It's one sentence in Leviticus. It's a big deal. A lot of commandments are repeated over and over and over and over. One time it says a man shall not lie with a man as he lies with a woman. So it seems it is not that big a deal. So it isn't
3: that important.
1: It isn't that important. It's not here. Right? It's not here.
0: It's not here. Is it not prohibited
1: then? No, it's prohibited. But we have to ask the question, if, if you're doing this huge ceremony and we're talking about sexual behavior, either this was much more common sexual behavior, right? Or, and, or, these are the biggies. These are the ones that Torah's most concerned about. That, Torah's not so concerned. We see, we see homosexuality once. It's, it's a big collection of laws that we have. Once. Love the stranger, we're told 36 times. When Torah wants to make a point about something, it, it does so, right? It, we see honor your mother and your father in the 10 commandments. We don't right when it wants to make a point about something being absolutely fundamental and really important, Torah makes that point. And it is not the case that homosexuality is that important. It's all about keeping the group cohesive and moving. Yes. And homosexuality
5: doesn't
1: <coughs> prohibit; doesn't That's stop that movement or th- cohesive. Well, and so, and the other thing you know to remember is the only reason you know that verse from Leviticus is because it's been used by <laughs> oh, right oh, by, yes. and, and I'm not saying just you. The only reason we know that verse is because it's been picked out. But I could pick; I could give you several prohibitions from Leviticus that you've never heard of. Well, hopefully, if you've been learning with me, you've heard of them. Uh-huh. But, but
0: would, you, would you conclude them that this? the difference between a custom and a serious uh, injunction. Leviticus is saying, among other things, just don't do it, it's not good.
3: This
0: is saying, if you don't do
1: it, you're cursed. Well, a fundamentalist will read them all with the same weight, right? So people who love to pick out verses read them all with the same weight, right? except they don't. Yeah. right because take care of the poor yeah. that that one who, that's mentioned like a bunch of times gets like you know excised and other ones get lifted up and they say they have the same weight but they don't because they don't give it the same weight themselves um, but, but it's very clear in Leviticus that it's a capital offense so it's you're not and again I think it goes back to the pork issue you're not supposed to be like those other people who are having relationships that are counter to what Torah understands as normative behavior. And there is some evidence that those relationships were, if you think of Greece, ancient Greece, many of them were between elder men and younger boys. And so they are exploitative often. So first of all, it was not the normal way of things for a man to give up his power and become submissive and receive. Um, just like you can't eat things that live in the water but can crawl up on the land. The rabbis, I mean the rabbis, the, the Torah likes things, right? The, creation is about order. It's about pulling things apart and keeping them in their boxes and keeping them in their place. And anything that crosses those boundaries makes Torah very nervous and it's off limits. It's taboo. And a lot of people believe that is, that is the origin or, or there's several ways that lead to that commitment.
2: There are things like you know, carrying wood on Shabbat.
1: That's a capital or, offense. Or insulting,
2: yeah, or insulting, yeah, going back to Leviticus. Or insulting your parents, which I think is a capital offense in Leviticus as well. And the reason we know, that, the reason, reason we know it is some people like to grasp one particular thing and make it the most important thing that ever came out of Torah.
1: Yes. I
5: just find that some of the other ones are so fascinating because I don't remember hearing them before in the faces like the, Moving the, mid, the the mark, the misdirecting a blind person, and accepting a bribe for this. One thing. Yeah.
1: So, right. So this goes to that point, right? So all those things are, those things are in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. They're all there. It says, and you will not put. It, you've heard it. You will not place a stumbling block before the blind, mm-hmm. right? But we don't tout that one on signs and carry it through the streets, do we? <laughs> right? <laughs> um. <laughs> That's been interpreted
2: metaphorically as well That's that you don't way. mislead someone who doesn't know something, like getting bad financial advice.
1: Well, and presumably that is what it means.
2: Right, as well as, Pers- well as leading a blind person in wrong.
1: Right. Right, but presumably not a lot of people are running around leading blind people down dark alleys and, like, running them into walls, right? But, okay. So I think even Torah understands this the, the minor, metaphorically. The
2: marker thing is about preserving territory. Mm-hmm. That's right. And again, that's about society, like the sexual thing, of keeping society operating properly and not in chaos.
1: Absolutely. So these are the big, the big 11 behaviors. Right? Um, people go really bestiality, right? Bestiality made it in; homosexuality did not, <laughs> right? Um, but in rural areas, raising animals, it was not uncommon. And some ancient law codes permit sexual intercourse with certain animals and prohibits it with others. That's how <coughs> normative it was. At least the understanding that people so do it.
0: The collection of all of this, though, is more to distinguish. People of Israel, as opposed to really curse them, it's just to say you are different than your surroundings. Is, is that the way to read that?
1: So, the, so it's definitely to keep them from doing the worst of what's around them, hundred percent. Which, right? Which is the goal of the covenant, is yeah. to make them a holy people, and their behavior should reflect that. The curses are here to make sure. That people don't, in private, where they can't be prevented from doing it, they remember, uh-oh, if I do that, right, I'm, I said amen publicly. I will trigger the consequences, and the consequences are horrifying. They're supposed to be.
0: So I can walk out of here and say, this is just the list of bad behavior, and we as Jews should not engage in this, and it is all around us, and we are different those tribes
1: around us? I think, yes, we but could... Here saying,
0: I'm but, about to die because I just did the following. But it goes beyond just distinction from other
1: people. Right, so, but That's I think what David, what I hear David yes. asking is what do we holy take from it? Yes. That, that what Yes, what we can take from it is we're commanded to be a holy people. And no matter yes. what's going on around us, yes. we are called to an ethical yes. and moral yes. set of, Behaviors we could discuss what they are for us today. In a way, I would love to hear from y'all what you think, right? If we were to reenact the ceremony, if you read my piece in the Jewish Journal, my fantasy is to reenact this ceremony a few weeks ago. Um, uh, my fantasy is to reenact this, right? Because we always read this a few weeks before the holidays, right? All the, we think this might have been an annual ceremony, a recovenanting ceremony. And so all the people are standing there All of the blessings and curses are called out, right, on the two mountains, and all the people say, amen, right? What if we had huge video screens in the Westwood Theater, and, right, we'd say, if, and then you put a picture up there, right, if. No, of course you do. It, it's my fantasy, Bert. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So, if you support inner city schools and vote for referenda that give more, here are the faces of the children who might actually be given hope in their lives. Amen. Here, here's whose destiny you would change, right? If. You don't become generous, right? Here's a kid dying of malaria because you couldn't spend a few cents on mosquito netting, and we'd have to answer, "Amen." Like, what if we really did this? Let's do
3: it. Why not?
1: (laughs) Right. So, I think it's a little late for the production aspect um, of the ritual right now. year. <laughs> right. Oh, Rita. So um, why does he have that
3: key? Why is, why why is it said that half of the tribe shall stand on one side? with the ones on the curse side doing this stuff or how was it divided
1: and what was the
3: rationale of actually taking some tries and putting them on
1: the curse? So I I think the rationale is it's drama, it's theater. You're going to take half the people and put them on this mountain, half the people on this mountain, the Levites in the middle, right? And and you're going to make this a huge covenanting ceremony, right? So it's a national covenanting ceremony the call and response if you will so they
3: weren't really
1: the sinners no 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 but when you look at who's where right. right so one theory is the six tribes that settled closest to that mountain right north were on one side and but you've got to have a mix cuz it's not split half and half and then ones who were settling further south m- more towards the other mountain were on that mountain. Um, another one is that um, the tribes that proclaim blessings are descended from the sons of Rachel and four of Leah's sons, while those that proclaim curses are descended from the concubines, Bilhah and Zilpa, and Leah's two remaining sons, Reuben the firstborn, who was deposed because of his incest with Bilhah, and Zvulun, Leah's youngest son. So that that's a possible division.
2: It's, we'll see in the next piece. This is all about choice.
1: Yes. This is right. Really, I
2: mean, the bottom line here yes. is it's saying you can stand on one mountain basically or the other. <laughs>
5: well, and it's in your life. life. Right. right. I, I, we say that prayer every that, day.
2: You, we're about to be right there.
1: Yep. All right, 28. Yeah,
2: this section has. Is in the, in the Reconstructionist prayer book instead of the traditional second paragraph. Correct. Not exactly this.
1: Paragraph. Go.
2: Now, if you obey the Lord your God to observe faithfully all his commandments which I enjoin upon you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and take effect if you will but heed the word of the Lord your God. Blessed be you in the city and blessed be you in the country. Blessed shall be the issue of your womb, the produce of your soil, and the offspring of your cattle, the calving of your herd, and the lambing of your flock. Blessed shall be your blanket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be in your comings, and blessed shall you be in your goings. The Lord will put to rout before you the enemies who attack you. They will march out against you by a single road, but flee from you by many roads. The Lord will ordain blessings for you upon your barns and upon your undertakings. He will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he swore to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that the Lord's name is proclaimed over you and they shall stand in fear of you. The Lord will give you abounding prosperity in the issue of your womb, the offspring of your cattle and the purchase of your soil, the produce of your soil in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to assign to you. The Lord will open for you His bounteous store, the heavens, to provide rain for your land in season and to bless all your undertakings. You will be creditor to many nations, but debtor to none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You will always be at the top and never at the bottom. If only you obey and faithfully observe the commandments of the Lord your God that I enjoin upon you this day, and do not deviate to the right or to the left from any of the commandments that I enjoin upon you this day turn to the worship of other gods. But? <laughs> we have to do this.
1: <laughs>
2: but, if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe faithfully all his commandments and laws which I joined upon you this day, all these curses shall come upon you and take effect. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the issue of your womb and the produce of your soil, the calving of your herd and the landing of your flock. Cursed shall you be in your comings and cursed shall you be in your goings. The Lord will loose against you calamity, panic and frustration in all the enterprises you undertake, so that you shall soon be utterly wiped out because of your evil doing and forsaking them. The Lord will make pestilence cling to you until he has put an end to you in the land that you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, fever, inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew. They shall hound you uh, until you perish. The skies above your head shall be copper and the earth under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land dust and sand shall drop on you from the sky until you are wiped out. (coughs) <coughs> That's not enough? A, a little bit more. <laughs> the Lord will put you to rout before your enemies. You shall march out against them by a single road, but flee from them by many roads, and you shall become a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall become food for all the birds of the sky and all the beasts of the earth, and none to frighten with none to frighten them off. The Lord will strike you with the Egyptian inflammation, hemorrhoids, boil
3: scars, and itch from which you shall never oh,
2: recover.
1: Okay, that one right there is enough to get me right in line. <laughs> right in line. The Lord,
2: the Lord will strike you with madness, blindness, and dismay. You shall grope at noon as a blind person gropes in the dark. You shall not prosper in your ventures, but shall be constantly abused and robbed with none to give you help. And here's the worst. If you pay the the bride price for a wife, another man shall enjoy her. If you build a house, you shall not live in it. If you plant a vineyard, you shall not harvest it. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your ass shall be seized in front of you, and it shall not be returned to you. Your flock shall be delivered to your enemies With none to help you, your sons and daughters shall be delivered to another people while you look on, and your eyes shall strain for them constantly, but you shall be helpless. A people you do not know shall eat up the produce of your soil and all your gains. You shall be abused and downtrodden continually until you are driven mad by what your eyes behold. The Lord will afflict you at the knees and thighs with a severe inflammation from which you shall never recover from the sole of your foot to the crown of your
1: oh, head. you get the idea. Jaienu. <laughs> <laughs> right? It gets worse. It gets worse. Just let me tell you it gets worse. Oh, it gets worse. Um, Keep going. So uh, No, you don't. So the So you get and it's not over, right? Like so you you know you get you get the sense of what it was meant to do. Right, it was meant to. And when you say "Amen," right, you're saying I I help enforce this reality, whether I choose blessing or we choose something horrible, right, as the alternative. It was meant to be scary. It was meant actually to be terrifying, because they lived in a world where it really was a possibility that your children would be carried off. Before your eyes, and that poverty and famine could be so widespread that we get what's the worst one after that, which you eat your children. So um, that that's I mean it, it's it's meant to evoke all of the fears that the people had anyway. Like we again might change it, right? To you know to the things that that haunt us at 3 a.m. And believe me, like as a mother. Right? You don't have to go very far to be pretty terrified of the things that can happen to your children. We um,
5: see so much of that in
1: today's news. Is a Jewish Which is why we're terrified. Yeah. right? Because we see it. It's happening. That's exactly right. That's why this was terrifying to them. It happened all the time. War was a constant possibility. It was a reality of the world they lived in, as was slavery, uh, as was um, diseases that were... Um, communicable, and they had no way to stop, and famine that killed everybody, right? If there's no food around, you have to go take it from somebody else. This is how we got to Egypt, right? You, you have to go down and go get it somewhere.
5: With, with this you know, list of horribles, it really is different from what we aspire to today in that there really wasn't a good choice, should I keep these, these commandments or not? with this list of horribles, I'm going to keep the commandments, because I, in this setting, really believe that 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 would happen. There's no choice involved in doing the right thing. Whereas now, I think we try to, you know, sort of think of ourselves as, well, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because terrible things will happen right now.
1: So, what are you saying by that?
5: It's not, it just, it strikes me that the whole, the value on doing the right thing because it's good and because it's right and because it's ethical, loving the stranger and honoring your mother and father, you're doing them because otherwise you will you'll be decimated, not because it's the right thing to do. So I think it just it's it it what it says it sort of it kind of lessens the choice of doing good then it lessens the, the goodness of your action. Uh, only so
1: that's what I was trying to get at. It doesn't lessen your choice. Right. What I heard you saying is it's a less noble choice right? because you're I'm just really just trying to preserve myself. Happening. I'm not that's trying to be a good person. Yes. So, and here's where we're very different from the biblical world because the Bible doesn't care. And sometimes I still have that answer. I really don't care if you're giving with a generous heart, write the check. You can curse me the whole time as long as you give me that money for the cause that I need it for. Right. So is it better to give with an open heart and a generous spirit? Yes. So we're a better person. Yes. Do I ultimately care at the end of the day? No, not when it comes to the cause. I care about you. Right. And so I would hope you would learn. I hope I would learn to be generous and open and whatever, because then I become a better person. But if I'm trying to feed hungry children in a disaster zone, I really don't care right now, right? So I think it's par- partly it's that. Like if you really understand that this is what's going to happen, if you break the rules, it's also contributing to the national safety that you refrain from doing something you really want to do. And, and is that less noble than I as an individual want to do some self-improvement? Right? We have to flip, we have to flip our values. We're so individualistic in America, 2016, that it's like, but we should do everything for the noble purpose of becoming a better individual. That was, that was not the point in the time the Torah was written. The point was, you were part of a community, and your behavior impacted the community. And will you refrain in private from doing something you really want to do because your stepmom is so hot? That you, you know, are you going to refrain? Because if you do it, you might bring catastrophe on everybody else. That's the mechanism that was noble, according to Torah. Not that I'm a good person, whatever. It's that the community isn't going to suffer if I behave, if I stay in line. That was that was nobility. That was the goodness of the good. Was I care about Klal Yisrael? The community of Israel. And therefore, I'm going to watch what I do so that I don't, right, negatively impact the destiny of my people.
4: Having just read these verses and from our vantage point, knowing what's coming down the road in several hundred years and then like a thousand years after this, <laughs> what possible response would you make to sort of like a normative orthodox interpretation <laughs> that in terms of the Babylonian exile, the destruction of the temple, things like that, that they had to come. Well,
1: we, so, so what I do is gently argue with fundamentalism and this theology. And I just can speak for myself. I can't obviously speak to someone else about what their experience is, but I can say that's simply not my theology. You
4: know, but when you say that's not my theology, are you saying that um, that you, you, you sort of don't accept a kind of cause and effect of God, essentially?
1: I'm saying I don't believe that this was written by God. Okay. Because that's what they point to. But it says in Torah. So your theology is not from Torah. It's something else. And I'm like, no, I don't believe the Torah was authored by God. I believe it was authored by people who believed, if they didn't do X and did do Y, that catastrophe was going to befall them because that's how they understood the crazy, chaotic universe that they lived in. And I... Completely understand that I do believe in a cause and effect big time right that your skies will be copper and your land will be iron that 's what 's going to happen. look at California right so that the the it means there 's no rain and the ground is so hard you can 't plow it right that that is what we 're creating right now right here exactly what 's printed in this text and it 's in our prayer book right so it's <laughs> that 's cause and effect that I believe in. and I believe that it's a moral and ethical obligation to refrain from behaviors that we really want to do. It's not about sex anymore, because that's all permitted, right? It's, it's about driving my SUV or, you know, and I I include myself in that, but driving what I want to drive, when I want to drive it, my convenience, my, you know, my greed, my gluttony of resources, is causing exactly what the Torah is talking about. And that's where, for me, there still is a theological and spiritual relationship between cause and effect. But it isn't about God. It's about us and and our behavior. Stephen, you are looking at me like this in a way that I know you, and something's going on in there.
3: The only thing that dawns on me is that haven't really come that far because we're still pretty fear-driven and fear-motivated. So these, you know, just doing good because we want to do good is not really enough. We're human
2: beings. Yes. The, the, this, this relates to the fact that this is how people are. We're, we're human beings. We're fallible. Isn't that the whole story going back to Adam
1: and Eve? Go just
2: saying. The... Like but
0: theoretically, haven't we evolved a little
2: bit?
1: Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Laura
2: different, the clothes are different. (laughs) Laura would
1: argue that we have. Laura would argue that we're trying to be good people and evolved. And
5: not because, as you were saying, so that I feel good about myself, but so that the kids don't get malaria, so that the schools are better. So that was my point. We try to do good things because we want the world to to be better, not because we're afraid that if we don't, something bad's going to happen to me personally. It's, it is it right. is about the community. It about if I don't act for the good of the community, this community is will suffer.
1: So you're saying the positive motivation yeah. rather than a negative motivation.
0: I right. sure that's true for most people, though. Yeah. So one of the words that's is, is ideally, it's absolutely right. We do things because we want to be good. Okay, But the real thing is there are consequences, and you raise kids to say there are consequences... For doing certain things, and that word has to be in here whether it's not extreme as this, maybe. And the way, the best way to change behavior is reward, ideal, and but if you want to change it, you punish. And uh, sometimes it's called one trial learning.
1: There you go. uh, Pam. I was I was going to
3: say that these curses seem sadistic, really. Um, like at uh, twenty, thirty, it could just say you're not going to find love, but instead you're you're going to pay the bride price. Essentially, you're going to find someone love enough, maybe to marry her, but you're not going to be able to be with her. You're you're going to build a house, but you can't live in it. They could have just said you're going to be homeless. But you know, you're going <laughs> to plow a field. Yeah, you can't right. have the. You're going to raise an ox. You're not going to. It just seems extremely sadistic.
1: So so remember the positive on the other side was if you've paid for a bride and haven't enjoyed her yet, you're exempt from going to war. If you've bought a whatever house and haven't lived in it yet, you're exempt from going to war. So it's stated positively. And this is the other side. So in other words, it's not being made up here as a special (laughs) intensification of curses. it was a formula that was around, right, that there, th- these were categories of, like, the worst thing you can imagine is that you've betrothed someone, now she's permitted to you, but another man is going to take her. Like, that's the worst thing, I guess, men could think about, right? So, or they, they own a home and don't get to occupy it. So it was stated both positively, and here it's stated in the negative, that that thing that you're exempt from war because it's such a terrible thing is going to happen to you.
3: And I was going to say that I mean the curses as we were talking about. We didn't read them all, but they do get more and more horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. Um, and and as Richard said, you can't help but think that this is the uh, Jewish experience. Mm-hmm. You know, even right up to modern times. I mean that you know maybe it's prophetic, or maybe it. It isn't, but uh, it's hard. It's very hard, at least for me. I just go, all these things, I really have them our people.
1: And it's it befell all the other neighboring peoples. That's the that's the important yeah, thing I'm to remember. Sure,
3: but it's like our long history of this.
1: But, but it is. It, it happens in Rwanda and in Congo right now. Right now. Worse than this <laughs> is happening in Congo as we sit here in our air conditioning. So... I know it's easy for us to focus on our own trauma, and I, and I think we need to relate to our trauma, and we need to own it, and right, and and experience it, and name it. It's not unique. It... I do
3: think our experience is unique in the world, yes. I mean, how long we've been a of people, and that this is anti-Semitism is a unique phenomenon.
1: So let, let me restate the case. I don't think... The things that are talked about here are not unique to us having experience. We took these texts from other peoples. These are not ours. We took these from people who were afraid of the same thing because it happened to them. Right? Disease, famine, you know, rape, pillaging, all of it happened to everybody in the region. We were not unique in that experience. And, and my only point is, and we're not, we're not unique in having suffered These things and being afraid of these things. If you want to talk about anti-Semitism and how we've been picked on for centuries, fine. I don't think that's prophetic. This was written at a time where everyone else was writing the same stuff and doing the same ceremonies because they lived in the same circumstances. Anti-Semitism is something completely other and different that was not here. It did not exist in the biblical world, right? We were just like all the other people struggling to make it and struggling to figure out how how to prevent the terrible and increase the positive. That's all I meant, that, that we were not unique in the experiences of these things. That anti-Semitism became what it became and what that has meant for our people, 100%. But I, And we could have this discussion another time because it's a really important discussion. I'm not trying to, to shelve it. I'm not sure, though, that I would say black people haven't had just as traumatic a history given racism. Th- we, do, are we going to compare suffering? Are we going to trump suffering? Are we going to right like, why? Why people with black skin? Why like what? Why? And 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 throughout history, when you deal with whites, why? And that whites have all the power, and whites get to ha- decide what happens to black people. Like what? Why right? like the, the, it's, it makes as little sense to me as anti-Semitism does. And it's as horrible to the people who have experienced it for centuries, maybe millennia, right? And so is there a unique hatred of Jews? Is anti-Semitism unique in its awfulness and its vicissitude? Okay, we could argue it is. I think I just always want to use my attachment to our suffering as a tool for empathy and compassion and a positive motivator to prevent it f- to, from happening to anyone else. Rather, I, I can't stay too long in why us and how horrible our history has been in comparison to everybody. Like, I, I just, I, it's not helpful for me to stay there very long, but I think it's important to name it and claim it because I think it's actually a big part of why we get crazy when we talk about Israel. People can't even have a civil conversation. I think it's because of exactly what you're talking about. The pain, the collective trauma um, comes out. The irrational response to that, which of course is irrational, right? Because it's about feeling, I think shows itself in our conversations about Israel. It's really about existential angst and PTSD that's activating all of the worst parts of our, you know, the amygdala goes crazy and everything starts freaking out and then we start screaming at each other like you're a traitor right and um so I think the pain is there and I think it's important to name it and claim it and then figure out what do we want to do with that
2: most of the most of these curses are, are physical but the ones that to me always seem the most powerful are the psychological ones and okay. it is amazing that this you know you'll be confused you know you'll, you 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 won't be able to think right or, or the thing about children it's not just yeah
1: that's the one that it, it, it that's, the one that, well, that's the one that gets me it,
2: it, it, to me it is amazing that the psychological pain that these come from and this is thousands of years old are it, it is so relevant to us today that we as human beings still can feel these same pains although perhaps not some of the physical things here the emotional Hemorrhoid part. ones. I gotta tell you, that's a terrifying <laughs> one, Tori. That's
1: a terrifying. That'll never go away, ever, ever. Um, Hemorrhoids <laughs> and mildew. Because they experienced it, right? They they experienced it. Is the
2: mildew the leprosy
1: of the walls? Well, so that is it mildew? Is it tsaraat? Only a priest can decide if it's mildew or tsaraat. But presumably they looked similar, right? You know, um, but. Right, so um, let, let's look at the piece by Yael Splansky that you have, To Influence and to be Shaped by Another's Influence. So, leaving the biblical world of the, the context that this comes from, this section became known in rabbinic literature and rabbinic circles as, hi okay, um, as Tochacha, as Rebuke. So, uh, and this was read in sotto voce in the synagogue it was read quickly um, usually the shots, the shaliach Tzibur not a congregant was called to recite these um, and to do it in other words to take the the ickiness upon themselves to read in a low voice very quickly all of the curses
2: Right? It's
1: kind of the It's so rabbinic. It's very rabbi, right? That we're going to take the Torah that had the whole national ceremony and big screens and, you know, loudspeakers and everybody's, and the rabbis are like, sotto voce, very quickly, run through them, see if we can get through them as fast as possible. Okay, now we're done. Right, so it's you because God forbid you say it's it, right. So already there's an evolution from Torah time to rabbinic time about what you do with this. But tochacha becomes a concept in rabbinic literature because we do get in Leviticus 19, a place you pulled one verse from, <laughs> um, but you don't know this verse, right? So like, <laughs> let's put this on a sign too and carry it through the streets, Laura. Okay, Hocheach tochiach et amitecha. So you are you are commanded to reprove your kinsperson, but you may not incur guilt for having done so. Can you translate
4: that?
1: So you met you are required to give a tochacha. You are required to give a rebuke to someone close to you who's doing something that they should not be doing, but you may not do so in a way that now you're guilty of something, right? So drop down. 2,000 years ago, you see that paragraph? I, I think, you're, is it color copy for you? Yeah, okay, then, yeah, then you yeah. see the highlight, right? Yeah. 2,000 years ago, the Mishnahic sage Rabbi Tarfon asked, I wonder where there, whether there is anyone in this generation who accepts reproof. Rabbi ben Benaziah responded, I wonder if there is anyone in this generation who knows how to give reproof. <laughs> Right so they're arguing about like what kind of a society they live in. I think the thought this was like so appropriate to our time right now, like pre-election. Together these early rabbis acknowledge that criticism is hard to receive and hard to give so that it can be received. But according to the later Talmudic rabbis the stakes are very high. It could be that everything depends on our ability to give and receive rebuke effectively. Such mutual responsibility for one another can make or break an entire civilization. Tractate Shabbat records the rabbinic debate. Why was Jerusalem destroyed by the Romans in 70 CE? So this goes, Pam, to some of your, right, the rabbis ask the same question, like why, why, what happened, why, you know, right, so Jerusalem, and Ullah taught, Jerusalem was destroyed because its inhabitants were not ashamed of one another. And Rabbi Amram, son of Rabbi Shimon, son of Abba, taught in the name of his father's teacher, Rabbi Hanina. Jerusalem was destroyed because they did not rebuke one another. Effective critique of ethical lapses can keep a society, a congregation, a family from collapse. Drop down. However, the end of the second next paragraph, however, our rabbis observed that when one citizen repeatedly dodges the obligation to reproach a fellow citizen, the fabric of society weakens and can begin to unravel, drop down, skip a paragraph. Much is written about how to rebuke so that it is more likely to be received. This is also how you don't incur guilt for giving someone rebuke. Rebuke should be given privately. So what so what is what is the way you would incur guilt here?
2: Like, uh, to, shame to
1: shame someone in front of other people was considered by the rabbis one of the worst things you could do. They said it was akin to murder. They call it halbanat panim, the whitening of the face, because people just drain when they're ashamed. They just, their face their face drains of blood. You see people just go, white as a sheet, right? It, that's halbanat panim, the whitening of the face, and they, they call it akin to murder. Um... Because in a way, who you were before that, you can't ever be again. You know that it's that damaging to people and to their reputation, and and you can't undo that. So who they were before, in fact, has been killed.
5: We still talk about saving face, Mm -hmm.
1: right? That's that's exactly right. Saving meaning saving the color of your face, Richard.
4: paragraph that says, writing about how to give a review, is that it should be done privately. In the paragraph just above it, the the issue is, if if we're seeing uh, a woman scolding her child, you know, know, too fiercely, that, you know, we should, it's, you know, how we respond then and there is important. Mm -hmm. Now, if, I suppose if you knew who the person actually is, because half the time you seeing strangers in the supermarket. But if you know who the person is. I suppose in theory you should like.
1: So I, I think this is ideal. This is I mean, ideal.
4: In other words, do it privately.
1: Yes, can. you would know them. It's somebody you know, it's someone in your community, and you home. would pull them aside. Right. So it, right. Uh, this is the ideal. Like I'm sure there, are, you know, there are times where you need to step in and right. do something and where this it's thing, not private. You
4: see this thing happening.
5: Um, the private can mean leaning in and quietly saying something to a person, and not right, in the middle of the saying, aisle. Hey,
3: right. what <laughs>
1: are you doing? Okay. <laughs> that came really naturally to you. I gotta say, <laughs> really easily. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I, I, I'm working really hard on
1: the not <laughs> on the not shaming part. All right. Um, res- it should be done respectfully from the Mishnah It should be done without shaming. We see this in the Babylonian Talmud. And always out of love. Um, and his anthology on Jewish ethics, Rabbi Joseph Telushkin advises, if you find yourself looking forward to giving the criticism, it's not the right time to give the criticism. Your motives are not yet coming from the right place, and your words are unlikely to sound loving. But if the thought of what you need to do pains you and you wish you didn't have to do it, then proceed. Your motives are probably trustworthy, and this will come through. right? So the minute you're like, I'm going to take care of it, right, yeah, not a good time to, to be offering feedback, as we call it.
0: I think Laura should hold the class.
3: There you go. I don't think my children would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sure they're they're it right. okay. Somehow um, they don't single out parents and children or siblings in, mm-hmm. in any of this. I mean, I remember uh, thinking it was kind of cool to criticize my siblings. Right, and that and that because that's not a that's not a tochacha you're supposed to give. Right, exactly. Right, that's one of the ones it's off limits because it felt too good. And if you look forward to it, it ain't good. It ain't good. That's right. If you look forward to it, it ain't good. That's right. So the middle of the next paragraph, slichot arrives this Saturday night. The high holy day verses and melodies begin to play, tugging at our heartstrings and awakening our consciousness. One medieval piyut, uh, we call upon God to shape us, to turn each of us into a masterpiece. Some of the metaphors are gentle. Shape us the way a potter molds a lump of clay. Guide us the way a helmsman turns the rudder. Some are harsh. Give, give us form the way a mason chisels at the stone. Thrust us into the fire the way a glacier does with glass. When we sing this prayer-slash-poem, we ask for criticism and correction. We open ourselves up to God's influence. With slichot, we begin to remember that more than we want to be right, we want to be good. We acknowledge that we are still works in progress and that there is no such thing as a self-made person. Let these days stir in us our deepest desire that our life can yet become a work of art.